Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, sponsored by Amazon. Today's Friday, February 5th. GameStop stock is back up, the unemployment rate is down, and we're talking to someone you'll be watching on your TV this Sunday night. As of taping, we are about 48 hours away from the Super Bowl, when either the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or Kansas City Chiefs will get the trophy, the confetti, and the lifetime adulation from their football hometown. We wanted to do something a little bit different today. Talk to one of the people who hopes he'll be making news on the field, Tampa Bay defensive lineman Adama Sue. Yeah, definitely about his thoughts about the game. We will get into that. But we also want to speak to him about how he's become part of this growing group of athletes who are building business empires off the field. For example, Sue is listed as an advisor on the SPAC that earlier this week agreed to pay $6.6 billion to purchase the parent company of Golden Nugget Casino and restaurant chains like Del Frisco's and Bubba Gump Shrimp. Sue's also somebody I first met in New York three years ago. He was part of a group of NFL players who were together to meet with CEOs and startup executives from all different sorts of industries to get a better understanding of what they want to do off the field and after their careers. Oh, and Sue is also a three-time All-Pro, Heisman Trophy finalist, and one of the modern football era's most fearsome pass rushers. So we will talk to Nadamika Sue in 15 seconds from the Tampa Bay Bucks meeting room. But first, this. We're joined now by Nadamika Sue of the NFC champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're obviously going to get into the big game in a few minutes, but I want to start here. You seem to be part of this growing trend of pro athletes who have business endeavors while still pro athletes. So I'm curious for you, when did you start getting interested in becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, so my first time really just focusing on the business world and wanting to getting uh, hands-on was uh, early on in my career, my playing career when I was in Detroit. I was super fortunate enough to meet some great people while I was there that I'm still very close with. And one of those guys was a guy named Gary Schiffman that actually runs a publicly traded company called Sun Communities. And so I got to sit in his office uh, and really shadow him and focus on all the different things that he had going on uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And then he allowed me to sit in on all his board meetings and things of that nature just so I could soak up that knowledge. Uh, and then really just from a, a real estate perspective and my aspirations there was just because I went to school for engineering and my dad was a mechanical engineer and I was very fascinated about the real estate world and building and wanted to build with my hands, even though I was lucky enough to, to pull and grab quarterbacks down with uh, my hands as well at, at, in college football. Was there part of you, though, that thought, you know what, I'm making really good money pulling quarterbacks down? It's obviously it's a it's a job that requires a lot of time and dedication. Why do anything else and not just think, you know what, when I'm in my 30s and retire, I'll worry about what comes next next? Yeah, I've always been uh, seeing myself as a multifaceted human being and being able to not only compartmentalize being able to play football, but at the same time, be able to be uh, going to a boardroom and, and sit in meetings and, and be able to pay attention and focus. And it's fun to me. That's really, I think that allows me to be at my sharpest when I am playing uh, is to be able to have these outside endeavors to keep me focused, as well as having great time management in these different pieces to be on board calls, as well as investor calls and things that are going on. So for my focus, it, it really helps me in the, in the sports world and as a good yin and yang. How common is it inside of NFL locker rooms when you think of your teammates, not just now, but teammates of past teams, 
for them to be kind of as interested in business as you are? And, and has that changed or evolved at all over the kind of decade plus you've been in the league? I think it's still very, very early. I think some guys have some interest to see about it and look at it. They don't really have the the want to to kind of focus and dive in. Uh, I think I'm a little bit of an oddball who who likes to take the time uh, and and really be hands on and and take the notions of saying, all right, just because I can be on a call. Uh, and have the time to do it, I actually want to be a part of it and, and be able to help and be really add value. That's always been my focus. Now that I've been able to kind of get through a, a good learning phase, even though I'm still learning each and every single day, I want to be able to add value to these companies and or SPACs, things that I'm working on. You've talked about time management. Let me ask about the SPAC. Again, you know, just a few days ago, the SPAC that you're advising announced this massive multi-billion dollar deal. Have you had situations over the past couple of weeks as you've been in this playoff run where there's been some sort of call or a Zoom related to the SPAC and you've also had a film session or a practice or something else you're supposed to be doing with your team? No, not during uh, football-oriented pieces, but this past Sunday we were actually, I was in, in my hyperbaric chamber and I was taking a call with uh, one of the partners, Doug, uh, and, and our PR team just preparing for the release and whatnot. And so it was exciting to be able to be a part of that and be able to know all the different things that were going on and, and being able to add pieces to that while I'm still taking care of my body. See, I've now learned that you can take a phone call in a hyperbaric chamber. I did not know that. I kind of assumed you couldn't. How did you get involved with the SPAC and why? And I have to ask, how long ago do you even learn what a SPAC was? Because a year ago, most people even in finance didn't know what a SPAC was. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to to meet Doug Jacobs and uh, at Anvest and, and be able to sit down with him in New York uh, actually last probably uh, winter, uh, before really the, everything kind of hit with regard to COVID and being able to just stay connected to those guys. I have a really strong relationship with a, a management guy that takes care of a lot of things for me, uh, in New York. So we all connected, uh, got down to, to talking and, and working together. And, uh, they had this idea and I said, I'd love to be a part of it. I've got a lot of good relationships when it comes to, uh, the hospitality space and as well as being able to work with uh, VCs and PE firms such as General Atlantic and or Andreessen and be able to see all the different things that they have uh, as I've, I've been able to be a part of those companies. So I thought I could add value and it came in handy. And even with the piece with Mr. Tillman, I read his book through when I was on vacation uh, this past February and then also had the opportunity to meet him uh throughout the spring, but obviously it didn't happen because of COVID. So those relationships are, are very key. And I've always realized relationships are things that you can never take away from uh, from business. And I think that's how it helps to, to bring things together. The company that that SPAC is buying has a bunch of different kind of restaurant chains as part of it. You personally have other restaurant interests, including back in your hometown of Portland, Oregon. What has the pandemic taught you most about the restaurant business? The biggest thing is we got to be flexible, be able to to be able to maneuver and, and be able to have the ability to adapt to all the different ever changes, different rules that are going on legislation with regard to closures and in, in different cities. And so from my standpoint, the groups that I've been management companies I've been working with and I'm a part of have been able to be uh, really nimble and be able to be flexible and find ways to connect and, and make sure you're getting to the consumer. Uh, and making it easy for them. So uh, I think that's going to be the continue to be the trend. And as long as you be able to get through this wave of difficulties right now, you're going to be able to come out strong on the other end. Let me ask a couple quick Super Bowl questions. My first is you went into this game a couple of years ago playing for a different team. You go in now. What's the lesson, if any, that you learned from the last one, which you guys didn't win when you're thinking about this one, which is what, you know, just a couple of days away. 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just being prepared for all the different changes that are going on. Uh, and truthfully, a lot of that is going to be with the opening stadium. Come hey, come on, guys. I, I'm on the phone real quick. Sorry about that. Um, the biggest changes uh, were just the Super Bowl opening up and uh, really the beginning uh, of the game and how you have all the different pieces that are going on. The national anthem, very much longer starts before you actually start the game. And then at halftime, uh, there's a long halftime. Uh, it's definitely going to be probably 30, 45 minutes where our normal halftimes are 10, 15 minutes. So just being able to adjust and adapt to those pieces. But when you're actually in the game, it's all the same. Have you been able, when you've been playing this year, this kind of strange year, been able to get the same adrenaline out on the field when you don't have a packed stadium screaming either for you or against you? It was definitely difficult at the very beginning, especially when we went to New Orleans week one, uh, empty stadium, and that I'm used to playing in that dome, and it's loud and crazy and people yelling and screaming. So that was definitely tough to get used to. But really, as a, a professional athlete, you adjust and adapt. And I think that's one, one of the great things that this team did, and we, that's why we're at where we're at right now. Right now. Going into that last Super Bowl, uh, you said the following. You got asked about, because uh, you were the Rams, Tom Brady was still with the Patriots. You said, it's always a pleasure to hit him and take him down. So out of the dozens of quarterbacks you have hit over your career, has he been your favorite to hit in the moment? In the moment, going against him, without question. There's been other quarterbacks, and I would probably say, truthfully, Brady's always great to hit when I'm going against him when he's not on my same team, but Aaron Rodgers even more. Even more. Uh, it's always a, a pleasure to get after him and, and frustrate him as we've been able to do these twice this year. When you're in practice and you're not allowed to drill Brady into the ground, even if you've got a shot at him, does that like internally, does that just kind of gnaw at you because you kind of really want to, even though you know you're not supposed to? No, we're besties now. So we, there's, there's no hitting, no nothing. You, you stay away from him and make sure he's nice and clean. If you guys win or lose, is this your final game in the NFL or are you playing next year? I hope to have an opportunity to play next year. I feel like I've got a lot of uh, talent left and energy, um, so I'm excited. But first and foremost, i got to take care of this game, and uh, we'll let the chips fall from there. We will all be watching, not from the stadium, because I don't think many of us are allowed in, but the rest of us will be watching on TV. Uh, Ndamukong Sue, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. I appreciate it. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Johnson & Johnson which applied to the FDA for emergency use authorization of its COVID-19 vaccine. The FDA now has scheduled an advisory committee meeting for February 26th. If approved, this could significantly increase the country's vaccine supply come March, which is when many states plan to begin vaccinating teachers and other essential employees. Today, we are also watching the final jobs report of the Trump presidency, with the U.S. economy creating just 49,000 new jobs in January, and the unemployment rate falling to 6.3%. Overall, Trump's final tally is 3 million fewer jobs than when he took office, and 4.5 million fewer people in the labor force. And while that 6.3% unemployment rate is much better than the pandemic-era high last April, it's still 1.7% more than what Trump inherited from Barack Obama. And finally today, let's bring it back to where we began, the Super Bowl. Over half of all Americans are expected to bet in some way on the game, mostly on boring stuff like who's going to win and by how much. But the real fun of Super Bowl gambling is in the prop bets. And here are three of my favorites per DraftKings. First, the color of Gatorade shower given to the winning coach. The lowest payout is if it's orange. Top payout, purple. Two, you can bet on whether or not any scoring drive in the entire game will take less time than does the national anthem. And finally, 
you can bet that either Chiefs punter Tommy Townsend or Tampa Bay punter Bradley Pinion is named Super Bowl MVP. Each pick pays out 50000 to one. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great national bubblegum day. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios Recap.